gates open, off and Stiley Sensory stayed in the gate. There's Bo Rogue being set alight immediately by Cyril Small and racing to the lead. But Bo Rogue won't give up, he's still in front. Groucho's grabbing him now. Groucho coming at Bo Rogue, don't play, getting a rails run. Bo Rogue in front, he's got a heart as big as himself. He'll win, Bo Rogue! Bo Rogue has cracked it at last. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. Racing New South Wales and the Australian Turf Club will present a race day to remember on March the 19th. Only one of the 10 races will lack stakes classification, and that's the midway. There are five group ones. The $5 million Longines Golden Slipper, which is looking fairly open at this stage. The $1 million agency George Ryder, traditionally a Doncaster lead-up, $700,000 Randvet is shaping up as a Queen Elizabeth Stakes rehearsal. The best sprinters will contest the $700,000 Galaxy and the $600,000 Sky Racing Rosehill Guineas will be a great derby prelude. Add to that the Group 3 Queen's Cup for the Stayers, the Group 3 Birthday Card Stakes for Phillies and Mares and the Group 3 Bisley Workwear Epona Stakes also for the Phillies and Mares. This will be a race day for the ages. A gathering of thoroughbred stars at Rosehill Gardens on Saturday, March 19th, Longines Golden Slipper Day. It doesn't take long for a consistent horse with an unfailing will to win to attract a fan club both on and off the track. Such a horse is the genuine six-year-old Think It Over, who in the last year has won seven races, including a Group 1, three Group 2s and two Group 3s. Think It Over has been handled with great patience and skill by Kembla Grange trainer Kerry Parker, who really has more than 15 horses in work but boasts a very healthy strike rate. The emergence of Think It Over provided a very timely tonic for Kerry, who two years earlier had to watch Dark Dream walk out of his stable. Wins in the Group 1 Queensland Derby and the Group 3 Rough Habit Plate had attracted the attention of Hong Kong owners with bottomless pockets, and Dark Dream joined the never-ending exodus of Aussie horses. Kerry Parker learned to ride at his father's Kangaroo Valley trail riding operation before spending a number of years as a full-time track work rider for several different trainers. Then came a long stint with Les Bridge, the five years he regards as the best learning curve of his life. Kerry took out his own trainer's licence in 1991 and for 31 years has chipped away making the most of every opportunity and building an image on integrity and a solid work ethic. Let's talk to the man who trains one of Australia's most improved horses. Kerry, great to catch up on a wet Sunday morning. No, lovely, John. Always always good to talk to you, mate. Thanks, mate. I appreciate it. If a fabulously wealthy owner offered you the chance to train a team of blue bloods at Randwick or Rose Hill, would you be tempted to leave Kembla Grange? Oh, I think anybody would be tempted on uh, on some uh, on some blue bites, you know. Uh, mm. But uh, no, this is this is part and parcel. Uh, you know, I, I sort of uh, came down here uh, yeah over thirty years ago to, to come and spend three months here at Kembla, let alone it's it's thirty years and I'm still here. 
Kerry, let's find out more about this horse that has taken you on an amazing ride. Think It Over came into your stable in September 2019 as a four-year-old. He'd already had six starts for John Sargent. He'd won a Goulburn Maiden and he was placed at Randwick. He was owned at the time by Richard Johnston and Sid Alcorn. Uh, I think you'd trained horses previously for Richard's wife, Christine. Yeah, that's right, yep. That was the connection. Now, yes. Su- subsequent to that, Kerry, uh, I think uh, Richard Johnston has actually bought Sid Allcorn out, hasn't he? Yeah, well, they'd sold uh, Bylong Park um, and they went their separate ways, you know. Uh, yeah, mm. uh, Sid was uh, manager of Bylong Park and, uh, um, of course, Richard the owner, you know. Uh, yeah. and that, that's, that's somewhere along the line there, that's what happened. Right. Well, you won a Class 2 with this horse first up at Hawkesbury. He just scraped in that day. Margin was a nose, in fact. And the stewards' report said he was slowly away, he over-raced, and he laid in at the 400 metres. Now, it's noticeable that you turned him out straight away. Was there a problem? Uh, yeah, he did um, He he did get a bit crook then. He, he had, a, had a bit of a temperature there for a while and... Uh, uh, got a little, got a little crook after that run, um, but then, uh, you know, all, all being well, he was he was medicated and got through it, and we gave him a good spell, and uh, yeah, then then from there it was just uh, uh, press on, you know. Mm. Well, it was eighteen weeks before we saw him again, and he had six runs on this campaign. He won one of them at Randwick, a benchmark eighty-eight, but he ran very good races in the Canberra Cup, the Mannion Cup and the chairman's handicap. You got him up in grade pretty quickly, Kerry, so he must have been showing you plenty. Yeah, I always thought he was a really good horse, you know, a really nice horse. You never know how far they go. Um, but, uh, you know, we always thought that he was he, he's bred to get over a good trip and uh, that, that, that preparation there was actually just trying to, to see if we could, uh, you know, qualify him for a, a Melbourne Cup sort of the prep afterwards, you know. Um, mm. I was still learning about him, uh, but he was doing a lot wrong uh, in that in that preparation. He was still learning to race, you know. He was he was doing a lot wrong. He was, he was a bit of a handful at home and uh, on the track and things like that. So uh, that was a really good uh, educational preparation for him. Yeah. You tell me that at that early stage he was a spooky bugger at home. I think you told me once if somebody dropped a bucket at the other end of the stable, he'd freak out. Yeah, yeah, he'd be off and out underneath you really quick. Uh, it didn't take much, you know. He was always sort of half, just just sort of half on edge, you know. Uh, mm. uh, and just silly things would upset him. And then when we'd get upset, he'd, he'd sort of lose the plot a bit. He took a while to talk back, you know. Uh, yeah. uh, and all those things have just sort of slowly we've just worked on and, and he's got confidence and, those things don't seem to phase him as much now. They still will now and then. You've always got to be a little wary. But, mm. uh, yeah, no, he, um, it was all about that growing up period, I think. Mm. Well, next prep, he had one barrier trial and then he raced seven times. He won the Craven Plate, Group 3. He ran four placings in town, including a terrific third to Arcademus in the gong. That was a run. He was never on the track that day. No, terrific effort that day. You know, uh, uh, I was I was sort of waiting for uh, the top of the straight. I thought he was going to be right in it. Uh, you know, I, I thought those leaders had come back to us, but they just seemed to keep running. But uh, mm. no, that was where he sort of 
he, he's proved his worth, you know. Uh, that preparation was always sort of aimed towards that Craven Plate, knowing that the Cox Plate horses wouldn't have been there, and we just sort of went along that path. Mm. Uh, and then, um, and then of course, you know, the gong was always in the back of my mind that, you know, we'd keep them to these shorter trips, that preparation, and uh, have a go at the million-dollar race in the backyard. Mm. What were you thinking to yourself after the gong? Uh, were you starting to think, gee, this might be a serious group horse, this bloke? Uh, well, I think I'd, I'd always thought, you know, that he was uh, – I think, you know, once you, once you sort of get a Craven Plate and things like that, even his run in the Hill Stakes before the Craven Plate uh, against the Cox Plate horses, I thought was terrific, you know. Um, uh, and then, yeah, the, the next preparation, of course, was always, oh, well, well, we'll definitely be aiming, you know, for a Doncaster uh, and sort of head down that trip. Yeah. Well, his following prep, which was right about this time last year, he had two barrier trials. He had four race starts, all at group level. He won the Liverpool Cup. He ran second in the Ajax. And then came the George Ryder Stakes. Um, Glenn Boss was the jockey. He had a beautiful run uh, near the fence. He and Dalasan went for an opening together in the straight. And fortunately, you got there first. And then he was able to nail Dream Force right on the line. What a thrill. Uh, tremendous thrill. I, I remember standing there and just thinking, wow, he's done it. You mm. know, I was sort of uh, half in shock on that win. Not, not so much shock, but I was just, oh, wow, he's done it. I knew he'd run well. Mm. Uh, but, when you know, I know how hard group ones are to win. Uh, and that George Ryder uh, actually was not in our program to start. Um, that preparation. It was the fact that uh, it was a Golden Slipper Day got washed out. There was a week that was put back. Yes. And that made it was going to be four weeks break. So then that turned my preparation around a little bit where the horse was thriving. So we ran in the George Ryder. Well, the logical next step was the Doncaster Handicap. And there's little doubt this was the greatest disappointment of your racing career when he was a late scratching uh, after you arrived at the course, he looked to have a massive chance at the weights. He dropped seven kilos on his George Ryder weight, but on the way to the track, uh, he lost a tiny bit of skin in an incident on the float. You did the right thing. You reported it to the vet, and to your total amazement, he scratched him. Yeah, well, the, the the first two vets had actually passed him, like, you know, uh, but it was uh, something had happened somewhere and uh, the main vet said uh, no and that was all that we could do. You know, uh, when you're told no, there's, uh, you know, I, I couldn't make an argument for it or anything. I'd only look like I wasn't worried about the horse's welfare and just worried about the money. So, mm. you know, I uh, it, it just I was just in shock when they said he couldn't run, like, uh, you know, I... Um, Oh, yeah, it was just unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, I had to bring him home and gallop him the next day to get ready for the Queen Elizabeth a week later. Crazy, Kerry. He uh, he was he would have run second or third favourite. He'd been all the talk in the week leading up to the Doncaster, and he on paper looked a super hope. Well, the whole prep was around that Doncaster, knowing that he was getting in with the fifty-two kilos, and you know. Uh, uh, he wasn't going to get a chance of getting in a race like that again. You know, uh, they couldn't get at him for his George Ryder win. Uh, there was no penalty for that. So, you know, uh, to get into a handicap 
that was that was going to be his best option. You know, a mile at Ramwick, uh, 52 kilos on his back, G Boss, Doncaster. Mm. That just all sounds perfect. Mm. Anyway, you went into the Queen Elizabeth Stakes, so he was, what, three weeks between runs then, wasn't he, into the yep. Queen Elizabeth? Yep. What a race he ran. He finished yeah, fourth, only a length and a half from a dabe. Yeah, it went absolutely terrific. You know, uh, like I say, it was a slow pace that day and he was sort of nice and relaxed and in between runners. Uh, didn't get a lot of clear air, but uh, just, just kept pushing and, and, and trying his hardest as he does. Well, by this you were well aware that he'd lifted to another level. So out he went for a good break. He came back, six runs, uh, four wins, the Chelmsford, the Hill Stakes, the Craven Plate and the Rose Hill Cup. And he got a million-dollar bonus for winning the Craven Plate Rose Hill Cup double. You couldn't have scripted it better than that. No, that's for sure. Well, that was that was a stage through, you know, uh, all the lockdowns and the virus and everything. So it was a little tricky for us to try and get to Melbourne and wasn't sure if he was really up to the top grade. Um, you know, you're very elegant in company. So uh, to have those races and that pattern of races that he'd ran in the year before, so it was easy for us to follow, um, it just worked out perfect uh, to stay at home and, uh, you know, to, to win that million-dollar bonus on top of the – the good prize money for each race along the way, uh, just a sensation mm. preparation. Well, he resumed recently, had two trials, and he won the Apollo first up, and then he just missed third placing on a heavy 10 in the Chipping Norton. Kerry, he tries to get through that kind of going, but he's not as good, is he? No, no. He's, he, his best asset is, like, he doesn't really have a, a turn of foot or anything like that, you know, uh, but he's got a... a a very long stride, and it just takes him a while to build up to that. He sort of builds, and when he, when he builds, his stride sort of lengthens. Uh, and when you get them heavy tracks, he, he just can't get the footing to get to that full full length of stride that he has. But it just showed how much courage he had there the other day when uh, very elegant coming outside him. He still you could see his ears go back, and he was still trying as hard as he could to go with her. Well, the original program was to be the Group 1 ran vet on Golden Slipper Day and then another crack at the Queen Elizabeth. But the wet weather in Sydney has changed all of that, Kerry. He's going somewhere else. Yes, we're going to head to uh, head to Flemington um, and go down to the Australian Cup uh, next Saturday. Uh, two good things in that is that that'll help him for the spring. You know, I, I'm tipping he'll be heading on a Cox Plate prep next preparation mm. uh, and just getting away from this weather at the moment in Sydney, you know, there's too much too much weather around um, and I think uh, that's a really good option to, to head down there and hopefully get a dry track at, uh, at Flemington. And is there anything to suggest he might have difficulty with the reverse way of going? Not as yet. No, he has worked the other way here at home a few times, uh, but uh, you never know until you're under those conditions. But uh, Flemington's the best place to uh, start them the opposite way around. Mm, well, it is carnival time in Sydney. Will you get Nash for a willow to Melbourne? Yes, yeah, he's booked. I, as I, said, I don't think I'd get Nash off with a crowbar. You know, oh, uh, I think he's, he's one of his favourite horses and, uh, no, he'll, he'll, he'll definitely going south with us. Taking you back to early days, Kerry Parker, your first job was with your dad's trail riding school at Kangaroo Valley. This is where you learned about horses and started to ride and you very quickly got hooked. 
yeah, it's not hard to fall in love with these uh, these animals. You know, uh, these these horses. They're uh, the. I think it's once once it's in your blood, that's it. You know, you've got the knack with an animal. Uh, it's beautiful. Your racing life began with a job as a track work rider for Errol Amos in those long ago days when Canterbury was still a training centre. It was like having your own track, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Uh, there wasn't that many people there. Uh, it was a good learning place, that's for sure, mm. for me to, to, to kick off, uh, you know, going from just riding ponies and things like that to, uh, to thoroughbreds. Uh, perfect. You went from there to Nowra with a trainer called Sid Barker. Yeah, well, that was a little closer to home. My uh, parents were, were down at South and uh, uh, we uh, also uh, wasn't far from home, so mm. uh, good good spot there. And also learned a bit there too, uh, you know, uh, a lot, bit quiet atmosphere. Uh, but, yeah, it was uh, the track was more or less gentlemen's hours. It didn't open until daylight and things like that. So, mm. uh, but, no, uh, definitely uh, just, just kept improving my riding along the way. A change of scenery beckoned and off you went to Adelaide to ride work for David Balfour. How was your weight in those days, Kerry? Was there ever any thought early in your life about becoming a jockey? Oh, no doubt at all. Uh, there was, but I was always like back then uh, it was, uh, you know, you had to ride 49 and then claim three, so you're riding 46. Mm. You know, the weight scale was a lot different and I was always just too heavy. I was probably running around 51 kilos or something, you know. Uh, mm. uh, I was always just too heavy, 51, 52. So I did have a couple of cracks at it, but uh, – I think uh, way of life and uh, eating became a little bit more to me than uh, starving completely. Did you ride in a race? Uh, I rode at the uh, – here at Kembla they had uh, – uh, the Fishers Coast Cup meeting was transferred here ah. to uh, to Kembla Grange just in amateurs day. So I, I called it a track work riders day out and uh, uh, punched around a few here that, uh, that year. Any luck? Yeah, I won the cup. I won a couple of races and won the cup. So it was a great day out. Uh, uh, it was uh, just, just yeah, like I say, it was just probably like riding barrier trials and things that uh, I'd ridden plenty of them. Uh, and it was uh, good to have the colours on and uh, uh, have my day out as a jockey. Now, Kerry, you've just given me a trivia question for dinner parties down the track. Name the uh, Group 1 winning Sydney trainer who rode the winner of a Fisher's Ghost Cup. <laughs> You'll get them every time Oh, no doubt I think that would be hard for them to find <laughs> yeah. Then came the experience you described as going to school You work for five years for the little master, Les Bridge Who's still going strong in his mid-80s They were happy days, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, loved living there at uh, working there at Leslie's. And I say living there, I lived at the stables. I was there full on, you know. Um, uh, terrific era, and and he had a, a terrific people to to work with, you know, like Dave Van Dyke and Tim Martin were all there at the one time, um, and it was uh, just a good era. And he had some very good horses. I think uh, I think he ran sort of fourth on the Sydney Premiership a couple of years there when we were all there together. Yeah. Well, he gave you the seal of approval in 1985 when he asked you to take a little horse called Drawn to Melbourne for the Caulfield Guineas. He didn't look much hope coming to the turn in that race, did he? No, no, he had a tremendous finish, that little fella. He was only tiny, but geez, he had a good turn of foot, you know, uh, to 
to win that and um, oh, just well, he won three Group Ones, I think. Uh, you know, he's a terrific little horse. Mm. He ran third in the Cox Plate too after winning the Caulfield Guineas. Did you stay yeah. there with him? Yeah, yeah, I was there with him. I was uh, I was uh, standing at the winning post uh, that year. Mm. Rising Prince won that Cox Plate. Yeah, mm. and the, uh, the year after was uh, uh, I think he ran. He might have finished fifth in the. Uh, uh, in the Cox Plate the year after, and that was the Bone Crusher, our Waverley Star mm. uh, clash, and uh, I, that still gets hairs on the back of my neck. The the noise of the crowd with that race when those two horses hit the winning post. Incredible, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, sensational race. A drawn was a unimpressive looking little fellow, wasn't he? A little skinny, rakey, blokey. He raced in a breastplate, which made him look even skinnier. But he had a hell of a motor. He won the Rose yeah. Hill Guineas too. Yeah, yeah, won the Rose Hill Guineas. Um, uh, he, he was, he, he, like I say, he just had a terrific turn of foot. You know, uh, he was only small, but um, he was a tough little character. You know, he, he, he ate quite well, but he just, uh, mm. if you just rode him a little quiet like that and that, that turn of foot he had, he, he'd just run over the top of him. Mm. Kerry, I'll get you to stand by for a moment. We'll just pause to clear a commitment on the podcast. We'll come back with you after this. Mitovite has been producing high-quality feeds and supplements for all walks of equine life for almost 40 years. Mitovite has become a household name in racing and breeding circles with products like Athlete, Formula 3 and Breeder. Time-tested products in the breeding barn and on the racetrack. 26 thoroughbred Group 1 winners this season have been on a Mitovite feeding regime. From humble beginnings on the New South Wales Central Coast, Mitovite has become a world leader in equine nutrition. Infrastructure investment in the production mill and close attention to nutritional science keeps Mitovite at a standard of excellence developed over four decades. Check the website mitovite.com or follow the Mitovite Racing and Breeding Facebook page. The Mitovite brand has earned the respect of horse people all over the world. Back with Kerry Parker. Now, following the five years with Les Bridge, the lure of the South Coast again proved too strong, and as luck would have it, you landed a job with David Van Dyke at Kembla, and you've never left since. No, that's right. Well, David had uh, had come down here uh, and started training, and uh, uh, I think he was just struggling for track work riders and things like that. And uh, Drawn had just retired, and I I'd sort of done that era with looking after him and everything. So uh, a change, and to come down and help my mate, um, you know. So I said to him, "I'll come down for three months and help you get going." Uh, well, that was the start of that. That three months has yeah turned to thirty years. <laughs> You got a, a really good kick along early in your solo training career when a freewheeling stayer called Gull Sovereign won the historic St Ledger at Randwick. Must have felt like a Sydney Cup to you at that early stage. Oh, yeah, absolutely thrilled. Like, uh, he'd uh, he'd finished fourth in the Sydney Cup the start before and uh, mm. I sort of got foobard uh, going into that. I went from, uh, I think... I had a uh, little Matty Pravado book to write him. He'd, he'd written him most of the preparation. Mm. Uh, then, of course, Matty's manager had jumped off and thrown him on a uh, New Zealander that had come over. And all of a sudden, I, I struggled to find someone to, the, to ride the weight. I think I carried 
two and a half kilos extra in the Sydney Cup and uh, a different jock and you know, he was a little tricky that horse and uh, and finished fourth in it. You know, I was I was probably a length clear with you know thirty or forty meters to go and I went from that to fourth. So mm. that that was sort of a bit of a kick in the guts that, that it just didn't work for me that uh, Sydney Cup. But uh, to back up a week later and win the St Ledger with Group One Gav on that that was mm. all a pretty easy watch. Well, that was the carnival when Gavin Eads excelled. He won everything, didn't he? I think yeah. he rode four Group One winners over that autumn carnival. Yeah, yeah. No, he was he was just the the man of the moment. Mm. Gull Sovereign became your first Melbourne Cup starter later in the year. He led for quite a while, but folded. I think Craig Carmody rode him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We. Uh, uh, by the time he went round on the Saturday, I think he might have been. Fourth, fourth or fifth in the Mooney Valley Cup or something, uh, mm. and I didn't didn't really want to run on the Saturday. But uh, Darren Schiffman, his owner, was uh, a big Bart man, uh, and you know, and he said, "Oh, they got to run on the Saturday. They got to run on the Saturday." And I was trying to tell him that the horse was tired, mm. but uh, of course, he ran on the Saturday, and then uh, then we had the the big payment of uh, paying up for the cup. And mm. I remember sitting there telling him, "Mate, you're going to finish closer to the tail than you are the lead," you know. Mm. Uh, this is going to cost a bit to, to run in a Melbourne Cup. And he sort of went away and thought about it. And he thought, well, I'll, I'll earn that money again. I'll probably never have a chance to have a runner in the Melbourne Cup. So mm. we sort of went into it knowing we had a horse that was tired, but it was the opportunity to have the runner. Mm. Uh, and, of course, knowing that he was going to lead, we'd uh, organised the, the local paper from the South Coast here that were down there doing all the coverage to take some lovely photos of the first lap. Uh, so we had some photos of the first lap of him going past the post first in the Melbourne Cup. Yeah, at the winning post the first time. Long way to go. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> now, Kerry, I love the story of Don Raphael, a horse owned by the late, great Don Story. Uh, Don had actually entered him for a dispersal sale and got you to give him a quick little trial while waiting for that sale. You finished up pleading with him to pull him out of the sale and go on with him. And uh, w what happened? Did he just suddenly put it all together? Yeah, I think he'd, uh, you know, he'd, he just hadn't been showing him enough in Sydney, I don't think. Uh, and uh, as he was down here working, I suppose, the change of atmosphere and everything and the, the way we did things... Uh, yeah, he, he he showed me a lot more ability than a horse that was just needing to go to the sales. And he was by Runyon, and I won't say he was a you know beautiful looking animal. He was a bit awkward looking with a bit of a ewe neck and a short tail. And mm. you know, I, I'm tipping if he went to the sales, he'd been lucky to bring four hundred dollars. You know, um, mm. but uh, no, once we started doing some work with him, and I had a little apprentice still learning at the time, and. I remember Boxer Williams and myself was riding work, and we sort of jammed him up in between us. Uh, more so teaching the apprentice in a gallop, you know, that we've got to get nice and tight and squeezed him up. Mm. And, of course, uh, Don Rafael took off, you know, and I thought, oh, well, that was good. We'll, we'll do that again on Saturday. And, mm. and then, of course, on Saturday we couldn't get near him. The horse was off and gone. Good we, we were on a couple of horses that had won a few races, you know, going, well, this mm. bloke is not useless. He goes good. Well, you can say that again. You finished up winning a listed Tattersall's plate. He won the Group 3 Colin Stephen quality at Randwick off to Melbourne, and he wins the Group 2 Saab on Derby Day at Flemington. That got him into the Melbourne Cup. I can see the grin on Don Story's face now. Yeah, yeah. No, it was terrific preparation to think that, you know, he, he, he'd sort of gone from, from you know, going through the sale yard to a year later running in a Melbourne Cup, you know. Uh, yeah. Terrific. Uh, 
uh, and terrific preparation and just uh, in, enjoyed the role, you know. Uh, it was really good. Until Think It Over came along, you always believed Brilliant Light was the best horse you'd had. In fact, you were thinking at one stage he might have been a Cox Plate horse. He had continual foot problems, didn't he, Kerry? Yeah, yeah. He had a, a really bad uh, sort of quarter crack there that went all the way down and uh, – um, it just got the better of him at the end. Like, you know, when, when he'd run third in the Doncaster, uh, you know, he, he had a torrid run in the Doncaster. He drew wide and he was stuck wide all the way. And, you know, after that um, that run, I thought, oh, well, you know, this, this that was the first time I ever thought, oh, I might have a Cox Plate horse, you know. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he, yeah, he, he's a pretty special animal. But uh, unfortunately, the, the, that foot was the undoing of him. Mm. Well, he won a Group 2 Ajax Stakes. He won a listed Royal Palmer. And as you said, he ran a cracking third after a hard run in the 2010 Doncaster to Rangy Rangdu. I think that made Think It Over scratching last year even more disappointing. You'd been waiting for 11 years to get another bite at a Doncaster. Oh, definitely, yeah. No, there was no, uh, you know... Uh, yeah, like I say, that was that was a pretty hard day to deal with, um, you know, because, uh, like I say, Brilliant Light, uh, he, he, he'd gone so well in it and just had no luck in it. Um, mm. uh, it was nice to get another another tie, you know, another another chance at, at that Doncaster. But, yeah, as I say, that uh, that day was a low point and uh, we'll just push on from there. Eliana Tide was a nice staying filly for the stable. She was beaten only a long head by Streamer in an Australian Oaks and she ran third in a Sydney Cup. She could stick. Yeah, very much so. Like uh, she was one of them, you know, I bought a schnitzel thinking I might get an early running sprinting type and uh, once I started to gallop her, I thought, oh, gee, I hope she can stay because she wasn't real quick and sharp. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so we sort of planned out a bit to say, oh, well, let's see if we can go as a three-year-old and uh, – give her a bit of time and uh, headed her on that way. And, yeah, she was a terrific little mare. Gee, she, she tried hard, you know. Uh, um, yeah, just uh, just that, that day when Streamer beat her in the Oaks was, uh, yeah, an incredible, nearly an incredible day. You know, I, I remember thinking uh, I've been beaten by uh, probably a, close to a champion in Streamer. She was a really good mare, you know. Mm-hmm. Won a Doomman Cup later. Yeah, yeah, well, uh, yeah, we, we give her a run for her money in that uh, Oaks anyway. The Dark Dream story is well documented. You developed him from a very raw, very green horse to win a Group 1 Queensland derby. The owners had accepted a lucrative offer from Hong Kong, but you were the last to know. When he won the derby, you had a feeling uh, he wouldn't be at your place very long. Yeah, well, there was uh, even leading up to the derby. I wasn't even sure if we were going to hang on to him that long. So I was uh, very glad that uh, we were able to, to do that and to keep that program. Uh, um, you know, his aim was to, to head towards that Queensland derby and, uh, you know, it, it was terrific to watch it all unfold and, and win the race, especially under the pressure we were under of thinking, you know, uh, whether he was going to be there the next day when we got up. Mm. He won two from 16 in Hong Kong before being sent to Melbourne, where he's won one race, a benchmark at Flemington, only a couple of months ago. You'd be having a look at him for sheer sentiment, I'd imagine. Old time's sake. 
Yeah, yeah, I watched him. Uh, I watched him go through Hong Kong uh, most of the time, you know, especially when he first went over there, um, and then he sort of faded out, you know. He, he just uh, probably didn't handle everything there, and and when they sent him back to Australia, I thought, well, they might be able to turn him around a bit now, you know. But uh, yeah, no, I just sort of keep an eye on him, or someone tells me if I miss him. Mm. Group horses are so hard to find, and for most of the time, the smallest stables have got to do the best they can with what they've got. And average horses like Tenorino and Virgilio keep trainers sane and give their owners a lot of fun along the way. Yeah, very much so. Like those two you mentioned there, you know, they're, they've just been the, the stable, you know, stable stars really. They they turn up, they give their best, they they win their race here and there and, uh, you know, keep topping you up and keep keep your sort of name up in lights. As you know, it's, uh, you know, I, I probably get three yearlings a year, so it's very hard to get a top liner uh, out of that sort of turnover. Uh, and a lot of these um, horses that sort of, fall out of the Sydney stables uh, and things like Red to Bowie and things like that that turn out to be, your, your, you know, your, your good little horses that keep you alive, that pay the rent and pay the wages. Mm. You tell me a funny story about those two horses, Tenorino and Virgilio. You say you've got a television monitor constantly running the Sky Racing program in the stables. Horses can see it clearly. And you tell me that Tenorino and Virgilio would stare at that monitor all day long. Yeah, they 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 watch the TV. Like, it's just outside here and, uh, you know, they're, they're always up watching the TV. But even if I put a movie on at night, sometimes if there's a bit of gunfire in it, I've got to turn it down a bit because they're standing there staring at the TV trying to work that out. <laughs> <laughs> Next thing, they're knocking water buckets over and things like that. So my staff are telling me I've got to watch what I, I'm not allowed to watch Walking Dead outside because they, <laughs> they get upset and they have nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great story. You'd love a stable full of horses like Tampering. Six wins, six placings, two midways included. He's won a quarter of a million. He's just back in work, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. He was supposed to trial this week, so he's not far from going around. I think he's, uh, he'll probably trial at Warwick Farm next Tuesday and uh, uh, <clears throat> probably find him a, a midweek somewhere to start off. His benchmark's getting a little high now. Uh but uh, this time of year, we might. Yeah, I think there was a benchmark seventy-eight or something for him. So uh, he's not far from kicking off his preparation. Mm. It's going to get a little tougher from here on in. But he's pretty genuine, isn't he? Yeah, very genuine. He he, he tries really hard, and uh, you know, like, as you say, those sort of horses that uh, yeah, you put your saddle on and you send them out to race, and they they do their bit. That's that's all you can ask. He's got an interesting pedigree. He's bred to stay four miles. Yes. He's, he's by Pendragon, he's out of a mare by Monsieur, but a mile looks to be his absolute capacity. Yeah, I think that's more to do with his brain. He, he's a sort of a hard-going horse. Um, this prep, I have been racing him, in a, uh, been working him all the way up in a crossover noseband, and that with him getting a little older and that, that preparation last prep, I'm hoping that uh, we can just get him to come back underneath the rider a little better, uh, which he seems to be in track work. So I'm looking forward to this prep and hoping that uh, we can just get him to be just a little bit quieter in the running, might help him run that a little bit further. Yeah, well, I hope so, mate, because uh, he's got a stayer's pedigree, if ever you've seen one. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You've got a nice three-year-old Dundeal filly there by the name of Hope in Your Heart, whose two wins to date have been at Maruya and Goulburn. 
but you stepped her up last Saturday week to Group 1 class in the surround stakes with Willie Pike replacing the injured Andrew Adkins. She started at 100 to 1, but what a surprise she was. She finished sixth, two and a half lengths from the winner. You must have been tickle pink. Yeah, I thought she'd run really well. I'm telling Willie, don't worry about being 100 to 1. You know, this this, this will run really well. Uh, the only concern I had was it was a third run at 1,400. I, I knew she was probably looking for further. Uh, she's actually a half to uh, ten, tampering, so uh, I, I know that family quite well, you know, and but she's she's a little different. She's uh, she's a really hot filly. She's always a hundred miles an hour, you know. So just getting her to slow down in the brain is uh, a little tricky with her. Uh, you know, you get her out of the box and she's walking over the top here and going somewhere. She doesn't even know where she's going, but she's going, mm. um, and and that's her sort of attitude. So uh, she's getting a little better at the races and things like that. So I'm hoping that'll uh, help her. But yeah, really nice, uh, really nice smaller size filly but mm. uh she'll be aimed for the Kembla classic here next uh friday over the mile on a on a home track so i'm, I'm hoping we can see the best over there mm. who'll ride there uh pikey stays on ah good yeah yeah i mentioned another jockey's name there briefly andrew adkins i think uh, you and i will both pause for a moment to uh, reflect on the bad luck this boy's had in the last 20 months or so uh, we long remember the nasty fall and the complex leg break he suffered at Rose Hill in July of 2020. Blow me down, the horse reared with him at Canberra a couple of weeks ago, slammed him against an upright, and he's got another complex fracture, this time to an arm. He's had no luck, has he? No, and a champion young man, you know, an absolute champion young man. He, he, he tries his hardest. He does it. You know, he's a hard worker. Uh, just it, it makes it very difficult for these fellas when they, they go through a run like that. Like you're just starting to get back into it and uh, then you get another setback, you know. Uh, and I'm sure that uh, knowing Andrew, he'll be back again. Mm. Like many jockeys today, he's very tall and you'd expect him to, to have weight problems, but it's the exact opposite. He's as light as a cork. Yeah, yeah, he's very light. Uh, there's, there's not a lot of him. I think he's just. Uh, they, they all have a bit of height. There's not many jockeys that uh, I look down to. They, most of them, I look up to. Mm. Uh, uh, when you're given instructions, they're all taller than me. Mm. Uh, it's a, it's a different breed now. Uh, but uh, no, mate. As I say, I'm sure uh, Andrew will recover quickly and uh, be back in action. Kerry, like most trainers, you could use a few more stakes horses but you've got a pretty handy little team at the moment, spearheaded by the remarkable Finkered Over. How are you on race day? Do you get a little bit toey when he's in these big races or do you handle it well? No, uh, all in all, I'm, I'm pretty good. Um, I only get toey if things haven't gone right, I think, you know, if I'm not happy with the horse going in or things like that. Uh, but if, I'm, uh, if, if the preparation's done, well, then it's up to him. Mm. So I, I'm good as gold. Uh, it's only if I uh, uh, if things haven't gone right, if I'm questioning the work, or he hasn't, you know, uh, you've had a little setback along the way, or things like that, I can get a little antsy. Mm. But uh, other than that, if, uh, if the prep's gone good and I've done my job, well, then it's up to the horse. Mm. You got a little bit toey when that vet scratched him out of the Doncaster last year. Oh, that was more toey. That was just uh, <laughs> that was. Uh, I think everything hit the ground. I just uh, I think mm. they would have had to pick me up. I was just amazed. You've done a wonderful job with him, mate. Congratulations, and 
Uh, enjoy your day at Flemington for the historic Australian Cup. Great to catch up on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. Uh, thank you very much, John. Trainers strive to have horses spot on for race day. Fuel cells up, the right mental state, the right fitness levels. Equally important is the horse's capacity to recover quickly from racing and track work. The aim is to give owners every opportunity to win optimum prize money by keeping a horse in training for as long as possible. High Gain Recuperate is a powerful blend of electrolytes, B-group vitamins and vitamin E in paste form which can be administered after fast work and in the days leading up to a race to assist recovery. 30 mil of Recuperate drawn from the 500 mil bulk pack is the economical alternative to individual electrolyte and vitamin paste syringes. High Gain Recuperate powers performance and recovery. Visit the High Gain website and use promo code johntap.racing to receive 15% off your next Recuperate purchase.